It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are seconds away from hearing the daily Locked On podcast you love, but I'd like to tell you about another podcast I think you'll like. Rejecting the Screen, hosted by NBA experts Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko, features provocative interviews with NBA stars and unique perspectives from around the game. Subscribe to Rejecting the Screen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, welcome to Locked On Warriors, your daily podcast on all things Warriors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Wes Goldberg, Warriors writer for Mercury News here with Charles Hamilton. Bob Fitzgerald, play-by-play voice for the Warriors, will join you later on. We're doing the final show of the week, remembering the 2014-15 season. Charles, what stands out to you when you think about that year? Man, just a team coming together, a well-built team. Uh, you know, I was on Locked On uh, NBA last week, I think, and we were talking about, you know, we believe and then the championship teams and who the, you know, my favorite Warriors teams were. And the biggest difference between we believe and, you know, these championship teams is we believe was this group of kind of misfits. And, you know, they may have fit kind of the attitude and personality of Oakland a little better, but this. 1415 team was a team that was built. You know, we saw we saw the process of a championship team being built. And it's one of my favorite things in all of sports is seeing how a front office puts together a championship team or a, you know, a, a great team or whatever you want to call it. They don't always have to be championship teams, but you know, the the uh Livingston signing and Spates. By the way, I just have to throw this in there because it's been uh on my mind for a couple weeks now. Uh Spates would have been my my power forward in the the all bench player starting lineup. Um, I okay. feel bad. I forgot about that. I just I, I can't do my guy most Spates like that. He he's definitely the starting power forward in the all bench lineup. Uh, but you know the emergence of Steph Curry obviously. I my sports fandom life hadn't been um, you know very glamorous up until Steph Curry and this Warriors team. Steph Curry's winning MVPs and this Warriors team is winning championships. And we see Steph Curry change the game of basketball uh, basically by himself. Uh, Clay Thompson too, but you know Steph definitely was the the one who really really changed it. And it was the year that Clay became uh, you know that perfect number two option. Uh, in my opinion, Clay Thompson is the best number two in the NBA because he fits that number two role. There may be better players who are number two options. You know, you can make the argument that Paul George is a better player overall, but the fact is Clay is, to me, the better number two option because he fits the role. He doesn't need the ball. He's a elite defender, all that stuff. Um, so just a ton of stuff stands out for that 14-15 uh, season. Obviously, the championship was the best because there was a lot of drama uh, in those playoffs, you know, coming back to one in two different series to uh, win a championship. And, I mean, it, it was just – it was great, man. It's probably my, I, I can't say my favorite because, you know, there's three. How do you pick your favorite championship? But the first one is always pretty great. I think, I think a lot of people would mark this as their favorite one though. I mean, we did a bracket um, on Twitter to, to try to get people to listeners of the show to, to vote on their favorite team. And this was the one that won. And I think the reason was not, not because it, it was the best team. I think everybody would say that first year with Kevin Durant was probably the best Warriors team ever. 
but this was the one that was really it, there was no assumptions, right? Like you said, it was this was the year of the coalescing. This was the year of them becoming what they eventually became. And there, you go into the playoffs not knowing any. Like, yeah, they they win they win sixty seven games in the regular season, but and they're the number one seed. But um, you go through a tough Pelicans team, a tough eight seed Pelicans team with Anthony Davis in the first round. Then you go to those grit and grind Grizzlies. In the second round, I mean, even just those two, I don't think anybody would have really expected them to lose to the eighth seed. But like, there was a moment there against Memphis where it looked like they could lose. And yeah. Steve Curry said that was the series where they really broke through. It was against Memphis. And um, I want to talk a little bit about the playoffs in a second, but let's get. I, I do want to talk about that regular season because you said something before how this was a team that was built and they sort of, sort of ascended to what they became. We don't really see that very much, right? Mm-hmm. It, where you have a team that's built like that, and yeah, they get Andre Ugadala the year before. They add Sean Livingston, who's nice, you know, but they didn't really they didn't have this huge acquisition that took them from okay, cute playoff team to best team in the league. And I, I think what you would argue would be that the biggest acquisition was Steve Kerr. What do you yes. remember about that time going from because when they fired Mark Jackson, they got ridiculed on ESPN local papers calling this like some some of them doubted the, the move too because they were re- they were starting to you know break through Steph Curry was making all-star games Clay Thompson was on his way to his first all-star game I believe but uh t- the decision to fire Mark Jackson let's start there before yeah. we even get to the decision to hire Steve Kerr I understood it I it, it's one of those decisions where you just better get the hiring correct and because look, you're firing a guy who won 51 games, right? I think they won 51 they, the year they fired him. Um, I had problems with the offense that he ran, and then you know all the news about how he dealt with the front office and stuff, and how he was very difficult to deal with, and you know was more of a rah rah coach than a strategic coach. Um, so I definitely understood it, but I just when you make a decision like that to fire a coach who's gotten you to the playoffs, who got this team to this point, you know, the hell, the the best team uh, or the best results, at least in, you know, what, 30 years, you have to get the next move right. And luckily they did. And I, you know, one of the criteria for me obviously was, and I think for all, most Warrior fans was find someone who can get the most out of the two greatest shooters of all time. Uh, having those guys on your team and how do you do that and I remember you know Steve Kerr was being brought up and I just I don't know it it felt like you're going okay you're you're getting another TV guy you know with zero Mm -hmm. experience Uh, I'm not gonna lie initially during you know the hiring process they were linked to Stan Van Gundy I wanted Stan Van Gundy Um, he he had his you know he had the track record Um, obviously I was wrong who knows what they would have been with Stan Van Gundy instead, but it was just, it was a risk and they had to get the the next move. Right. And they did. So I was um, saying I was for it is a little strong. I understood it. I'll, I'll say that. And I uh, had no problems with it, but you're just, you're putting yourself in a position where with zero, um, you know, zero room for error. Then they start the year 10 and two. Right. I think they started the year 21 and two even. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
they they get it's not the uh 29 games to start the year or whatever it was but it was a really hot start to the year and it was clear just from the outset that uh well David Lee got hurt in I think the fourth game of the season at that point and so Draymond Green is uh, ascends into the uh starting unit the decision to bench Andre Godala in favor of Harrison Barnes was made before the year things are clicking in place in a way that I don't think anybody really saw them being able to click in place under Mark Jackson. And then the results are there immediately. And so Mm -hmm. now what are you thinking at that point, you know, almost 30 games into the season, they're 21 and two, they're winning a ton of home games. They're winning a bunch of road games too, obviously. And they just, they look different immediately. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking they stuck the, stuck the landing, nailed the hiring. (laughs) Steve Kerr's the man. Uh, Mike Malone was with them, which was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, Alvin Gentry being there. I thought they, I thought they did a perfect job in not just hiring Steve Kerr, but also hiring the assistants. I think Ron Adams was there as well. Like they went and said, all right, we, it's one of the sayings I like in sports and just life is like, I know what I don't know. And I think Steve Kerr and the uh, ownership front office, et cetera, knew that, you know, Steve Kerr doesn't have experience. Uh, Mark Jackson, who didn't have experience, was kind of against hiring high-level assistants, Yeah. Um, you know, for, I don't know, fear of maybe them replacing him, whatever it was. Insecurity, they, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They went out and got the highest-level assistant coaches they could. And it just, yeah, th- to start the season like that, it just showed that they stuck it, um, that they n- did have a coach and a system that was getting the most out of a guy like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. You had Draymond Green and Steph find that uh, chemistry, um, you know, with him starting for David Lee. And who knows what would have happened if David Lee started, you know, uh, Draymond's career would have been much different. The defense probably would have been worse, but would they have been uh, record-wise that much worse? I don't know. I mean, they probably lost a few more games, but this team was, you know, they were a freight train. Once once Steve Kerr came in and, and started to to – just maximize the two best shooters of all time. Like it, it was, uh, it's what we all wanted, and to see it that early was awesome. This episode is brought to you by MyBookie, which has been a partner for a long time for us and everybody else at the Locked On Podcast Network. So, as always, we appreciate you supporting the people who support us. Sports have come to a screeching halt with basketball benched and pitchers off the mound, but our friends at MyBookie aren't going to let it get you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite games like blackjack, roulette, slots, war, and more. It doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end with my bookie. Video poker not your thing, but still need a fix? They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables live on site 24-7. Is your favorite squad sidelined because of the pandemic? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court in NBA 2K20. Plus, you can always do your part to make your bankroll great again by taking advantage of shifting odds on political bets. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use the promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit, and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to 750 bucks. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. Is there anything more craveable than the smell of McDonald's fries? If someone's hiding an order of fries, they're never hiding it well. 
it takes one whiff to trigger a fry craving that will only be satisfied the McDonald's way. So stand up if you would like to taste the smell of a McDonald's fry right now. Did you just stand? Because if you did, then you earned yourself a trip to the McDonald's drive through for your own steamy carton of crispy golden goodness. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I want to talk about Steph Curry because that was his first MVP year. He breaks his own three-point record, three-pointers made in a year, uh, with 272 that year, or, or 286, broke his previous record of 272. I want to talk about that in a second, but I want to get to Clay Thompson because you brought him up earlier. That 37-point quarter, uh, Steve Kerr called it a religious experience. I think it's the only box score that Rick Welts has framed in his home office. <laughs> it is one of the most crazy things I've ever seen. And I didn't grow up a Warriors fan, obviously, but I was watching this year. And I remember watching that, that quarter and then the next day re-watching that quarter because it was yeah. insane. Uh, I, I, I think I was at Hayward at the time when... I was, I think I was at a bar with some friends in Hayward of all places when I was watching <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, so the next day we went back and rewatched it and it was as crazy as the first time it's, and you can rewatch it today and it still doesn't necessarily seem real because he doesn't dribble, nothing like happens. Nope. And yet he gets 37 points in the quarter. He's just making shot after shot after shot. What do you remember about, is that, well, let me start here. Is that sort of, the game for you is that the moment you think about in that regular season or is there another one i mean that has to be it it's come on yes you'll that is something that i don't think we'll ever see happen again i don't think it'll ever be broken um if it is it's either going to be by clay or steph uh because (laughs) because to score 37 points you have to have the ability to go what nine of nine from three i think he was in that quarter Mm -hmm. you know you uh, and not people not a lot of people have that ability to do that in a game much less, you know, nine minutes, because that's the other thing. Yeah, he scored 37 points in the quarter. He didn't score his first points until about nine minutes left. Yeah. And just the the way he did it, you know, like I talked about him being the perfect number two option. When you hear a guy scored 37 points in the quarter, you expect, okay, so he the usage must have been 100, right? And no, he dribbled the ball like nine times and <laughs> barely, you know, barely touched it. It was shooting it as soon as he hit his hand. Uh, one of my favorite was, the alley-oop that Steph threw uh, in transition to him because, you know, Clay Thompson, uh, even though he likes to throw down some dunks now, he doesn't catch a lot of alley-oops. And it just, besides the fact he went nine for nine in that, that, uh, that quarter, again, I think it was nine for nine, you know, an alley-oop in transition for Clay is. uh, It was a flex. It was definitely a flex. Yeah. (laughs) I don't, I don't think I've seen another one, honestly. That's the only one I remember. That is the one. That that's the uh, that's the famous headband game, right? Doesn't he gets like hit in the no, head at the, some point? The headband is the uh, the the fourteen oh, right. threes. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mixed that up. Uh, but yeah, so so Clay Thompson has maybe the moment of the season. You talked about him being the perfect number two to Steph Curry. I think we saw glimpses of that in this Clippers series, in the Spurs series, um, in the previous year. Um, uh, I, but we didn't see it sort of come together the way it did under Steve Kerr that year, and then just sort of the ability to play off of each other to allow, okay, Steph Curry was at that point, I mean, that was in, in January that Clay Thompson had that game. At that point, we were already looking at Steph as, a, as an MVP candidate, and it was his gravity that sort of allowed Clay Thompson to go ahead and do that, right, to not have to triple, to not have to have a usage rate that was through the roof in order to score that many points in, in nine minutes. So 
uh, when you did you ever think watching Clay and Steph together? Did you ever think that it would be like? Did you already know that that was what um, you were hoping to see? Because we also know there were some rumors about them trading Clay Thompson for Kevin Love going uh, going into that season the summer before, but. Uh, when you saw Steph and Clay, the years building up to that, did you ever imagine that it could be that? You know, I like maybe I was just a homer and or whatever, but I did just because also you guys have heard me talk about it, how valuable and uh, just, yeah, valuable three-point shooting is. And when you see the fact that you have two best three-point shooters in the game and the handles of a guy like Steph and a six-seven shooting guard next to him who – can also defend it just not to say that I called it or anything like that. Cause I didn't, but there was no reason for me to think that with the right system, right coaching, et cetera, that these guys couldn't be where they are again. So much has to go into it. So much has to happen for them to get to that point, you know, like with Draymond with the rest of the team, et cetera. But as far as their individual games, I just thought, you know, the, the explosiveness of these two, there's no reason for them to not reach, great heights you know it it was yeah it was so obvious to me and that's what made it so frustrating to see Mark Jackson call Jermaine O'Neal post-ups all game and then have (laughs) Steph you know try and bail them out uh by himself in the second half throughout a couple different seasons so uh not to just take a shot at Mark Jackson but you know I I had to throw that one in there um well and and with Steph specifically uh you know, he was a nice, like, three-point shooting all-star caliber player with some with some ankle issues, right? Yes. And then he gets – and it was like this – like, we don't – we hardly ever – I shouldn't say we don't ever. We very rarely see an ascension, a leap that, that Steph took that, that year, his first MVP season from, okay, cool all-star level player, maybe he can be Ray Allen, to, oh, wait, no, this is, like, one of the all-time greatest players that we're ever going to see. Yeah. And one of the most maybe influential players we'll we'll ever see in this game. To for him to take that leap that year. I know growing up as a Heat fan, um, I saw it happen with Dwayne Wade in like 2005, 2006, right? Mm-hmm. Where okay, and in 2006, obviously they win the championship with Shaq, and he has that incredible series against the Mavericks. And then he takes this other leap in 2008, uh, and he wins the the scoring title, the NBA scoring title, and he's quite and he's like in the conversation for best player in the league, straight up. It's him, LeBron, Kobe. Like, those are the guys that year. Um, but the, the Heat sucked that year. <laughs> so it's even more – what I'm saying is it's even more rare for this ascension to also come with the rest of the team. Like, yeah. it was – Curry ascending to one of the best players in the league coincided with the Warriors going up there with him. And and obviously, so he wins the MVP because you're rewarding the best player on the best team, partly, but also because we are recognizing him as ascending as one of the greats. What was that like for you watching that? Well, and changing the game. I mean, and changing Steph completely. completely changed the game. Um, and like you said, it was one of those things to see where, okay, cool. You know, a, a playoff team, Steph's a top whatever player, 10, 15, like, you know, leading his right. teams to the playoffs, this and that, getting over his ankle issues. Like, that's great. Great to see. Is he just a nice story, a, a solid player um, where, you know, is he going to need a a number one on his team where he's the second option or, or whatever? And to right. see him ascend like that was incredible because kind of the only thing that you you could change at that point was the coaching. 
and the style of play. And they did that. And he, you know, got to the levels that he did. And the MVP speech I loved because it was during the time where, you know, they would award it, award it during the playoffs and they would give their speech with their teammates there. And it wasn't this stupid NBA award show. And he went throughout the roster and, you know, shouted out everyone. It was, it was awesome. And, you know, talking about his dad and all that stuff, it was just, like I said, it was the start of, it was the first great things I had seen in like my sports fandom. And uh, it was incredible. It was incredible because it wasn't just a great performance. It was watching a guy on your favorite team, maybe your favorite player change the game. And uh, it's, yeah, it's special, man. Um, you talked about the playoffs a little bit earlier. I, I mentioned that Memphis series. Was there a point and what did, was there a point in the playoffs where you were, where you were a little fearful that, okay, the 67 wins, that's a nice regular season, but are we just, are we just the 60 win Hawks, right? Are we just yeah. a team that's going to kind of flame out in the playoffs? They were down two one to Memphis. Um, they make that at this point now, that historic change of just like, let's put Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen, which mm-hmm. basically meant let's just not guard Tony Allen out on the perimeter. And that shifts the series, right? Yeah. And we all remember the Andre Iguodala starting in the finals as an inflection point, but that was really sort of that move to put Bogut on Tony Allen with just spacing in mind in general. And that X's and O's uh, schematic change by Steve Kerr kind of was the thing that led to the Iguodala thing. You know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. don't get Iguodala starting in the finals if you don't have the brain to have Bogut guard Tony Allen. What do you remember about that Grizzly series? Do you remember being scared at any point? Uh, I mean, yeah, going in, it was definitely one of those. It was kind of Grizzlies and Spurs were the two teams that, you know, the Warriors um, had trouble with. It was such a different style of play, so much more physical, so much slower, uh, contrasting styles. And, you know, going down 2-1 to the Grizz, it just kind of felt familiar. And to make that change, like you said, to just not guard Tony Allen was – uh, you know, a, a genius probably overstates it. Like, why weren't people just doing that already? Right. But um, was the the changing point in that entire series? And you know, we've seen them do it to Andre Robertson and you know a bunch of other teams also. And you know, some teams do it to the Warriors with Draymond, etc. But it's just one of those things where, again, they got the coaching hire right and they got the uh, assistance right as well where I don't, again, I don't want to take a shot at Mark Jackson because maybe he would have made that same change, but I don't think he would not have. There was no hints to him ever having made that change. Exactly. Um, so it was, it was one of those things where it's just like, man, I'm so glad we have guys like Steve Kerr, Ron Adams, et cetera, yeah. uh, running the show. Uh, in the finals, they go down 2-1 to the Cavaliers. First two games go to overtime. Kyrie Irving hurts his knee at, in overtime of that first game uh so then he's out Kevin Love had gotten hurt in the first round of the playoffs for the Cavaliers so now it is LeBron James Tristan Thompson Matthew Dellavedova kind of like a souped up version of Memphis Grizzlies right Mozgov physical yeah throw Mozgov in there (laughs) Timothy Mozgov who had like 20 points like in like two different games I think uh yeah I mean that was that was a big physical Cavaliers team but ultimately the Warriors make that switch with Andre Iguodala in game four it completely shifts the dynamic of, of the of the series. I end up basically blowing them out in every game after that. In game six, the Cavaliers gave them a little bit of a fight until the fourth quarter. But uh, they win the championship that year. How do you feel? What are you doing? 
what does that championship mean to you? Man, it it means a lot. I mean, say everything is is strong, but that's the first championship I ever got to experience as a fan. Um, you know, I, I know people are like, well, what about the Giants or the Niners? I'm, you know, an East Bay fan. I'm a Raiders fan. I'm a A's fan. Um, so I guess in 89, when I was what, you know, three years old, I might've enjoyed that one, but you know, don't really remember the A's beating the Giants in 89. So it was the first one I got to experience. I was so happy. Um, I was so relieved also because look, good effort by the Cavs. I think they had a deep team to where they're able to have guys like Del Vidova and Tristan Thompson and, and Mozgov come in and play big roles for them. But the bottom line is the Warriors were better and they should not have had the troubles that they had with the Cavs. And so it was, you know, being nervous about, are they going to get this done? They have, I need them to, because like we saw with that young Thunder team, there's no guarantee that you'll ever be back as good as the Warriors were that year. And like, we know what actually ended up happening the next uh, four years but we just, there's no guarantee you're ever going to be back. This is your opportunity to win a championship for guys like Steph and Clay and Draymond and all these players who are great and going to have great careers to have that checked off the list that they're not going to be Charles Barkley or whoever, you know, right. where they can always say, well, you didn't have, you didn't win the ring. And I remember after they won it, I'm like, I don't care if they all come back 50 pounds overweight, you know, they can do whatever <laughs> they want. They won that ring um, completely worth it. And well, they just turns out they came back uh pissed off and motivated <laughs> right which is well that was know, pretty funny and that was the season too where everybody's jump shooting teams can't win jump shooting mm-hmm. teams can't win because we had been used to watching lebron and the heat you know lebron just being the physical force that he is win with the heat we saw you know tim duncan spurs win and all these things by you know teams that are able to get to the rim and manufacture points in the paint and all these things and the the, not to say the Warriors didn't do that, but they were a jump shooting team. And I think you get that label when your best player is Steph Curry, right? Who, you know, like you said, is he ultimately a number two? Do you need a LeBron type of alpha dog physical force to be the number one? Because that's what we have been so used to seeing. And so the quote unquote jump shooting team wins the championship. And now they have this confidence. And I can confidently say that they don't win 73 games the next year if they lose to the Cavaliers. They just don't. There's You don't have the confidence to go ahead and do that. There's no mm-hmm. way, right? And and so who knows how the rest of that decade, half decade goes if they lose in the finals to the Cavaliers. Maybe they have to get over another – maybe, you know, Cleveland all of a sudden becomes the dynasty team and they end up winning two championships in a row and or, you know, maybe even more. And, and uh, – and, um, the the Warriors have to sort of keep battling through these other teams in order to try to ascend. And maybe you're right. Maybe they become like the thunder where it's yeah. okay. That was, it was close. That was a nice try, but you lose to LeBron, just like put it back on his, like chalk it up to LeBron's resume. Another, another, you know, potential monster that he vanquished before it could, you know, come to power. So uh, I think that that was a pretty like, yes, it was the first one, but it was so important you know maybe yeah. kevin durant never comes to the, the warriors because they don't have that winning mentality like he might say like i might have a better chance staying in oklahoma so uh, i think that that championship really did shift the direction of the league not only because you get that inflection point of playing andre you in that starting lineup and depth and you know small ball becoming the new thing and needing to shoot threes and play as a jump shooting team but also because it established the warriors as a dynasty no question it, it was i mean it was the the 
the jumping off point basically and you know the the yeah. talk of um yeah jump shooting teams can't win one of the things that comes with that is i think people think jump shooting teams don't play defense <laughs> and because you know the mike d'antoni teams etc right but they definitely change that narrative i guess you could say or prove mm-hmm. that they aren't a quote unquote jump shooting team and you know steve kerr uh I don't know if I agree completely with how much he leans defense over offense with uh, some of the, you know, personnel acquisitions uh, at times, but he, that's something that he elevated. I don't want to say he brought it in because Mark Jackson got this team to play defense as well. That's one thing that right. he does deserve credit for is he got them to buy in defensively. Yes. But it's something that Steve Kerr took to another level again schematics and system it's not just hey you go guard that guy you go guard that guy and and try really hard which was kind of you know what mark jackson did or it felt like he did Mm -hmm. where steve kerr brought in you know a system and uh intelligence and just the right defensive and offensive but talking about defense the right defensive coaches to figure these things out man and it was uh I don't know. I'm I'm kind of just rambling here. It was an I mean, incredible time. I, there's a Warriors game on my TV right now. Is NBA is <laughs> doing a uh, replaying marquee games and stuff. It's uh, I'm just I'm basking in it right now. <laughs> uh, we'll we'll get you out on here. We'll get you out here on this. Is this your favorite Warriors team ever? Where does uh, this rank? I you know I have trouble with this and the uh, what is it sixteen seventeen or yeah sixteen seventeen team. The Mm -hmm. first year with KD, just because I think that was the most dominant team we've ever seen. I liked that it got guys like David West, a championship, Kevin Durant, the JaVale McGee story, getting him a ring, uh, Zaza, like all the people that came in, uh, some on discount, some just because, you know, JaVale McGee was a minimum salary player at the time. Um, and just that that team was so dominant, but I guess ah, oh, it's tough because they went sixteen and one in the, in the playoffs and right. in uh, in seventeen. But I think the oh, I I you're I, okay, yeah, top two, yeah, top two <laughs> for sure. Okay, very good. Um, Charles well Hamilton, said. always well a said. pleasure, always a pleasure to have you on uh, next week. We'll probably be reliving a different season, but maybe we'll get free agency Fridays going again after we just we did one installment of it and then we just completely broke off of it. But uh, I think it was worth it to talk about um, this season. So thanks again for jumping on. Definitely, man. Thanks for letting me uh, rant on here. <laughs> we'll come back with Bob Fitzgerald after this. This is Locked On Warriors. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Adobe. At CDW, we get your organization can be demanding. We know you're in there. I know. The marketing team's outside my office. They want their Adobe update now. With Adobe's value incentive plan, deployed by the experts at CDW, you can quickly and easily manage software subscriptions for the whole team. On Acrobat and Creative Cloud? All included. Cool. Guys, I'm coming out. Don't hurt me. For a satisfied digital workforce, you need Adobe and IT orchestration by CDW. People who get it. Find out more at cdw.com slash adobe. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. Making you old-fashioned today with Wild Turkey Bourbon 101. 
It just really stands up very well in a classic cocktail like the old fashioned. It has that perfect boldness. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Bob Fitzgerald joining me now, play-by-play voice of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, first of all, thanks for coming on. And um, this is the this is best season week over on the Locked On Podcast Network. So each of the shows is supposed to choose a different season to sort of recap throughout the week. So I actually brought it to my listeners on a Twitter poll, and they decided on the 2014-15 season, the very first championship year. What do you remember? What sticks out to you about that first championship season? Well, the first thing is those people are wrong. That's not the best season. <laughs> it's the, no, actually, and you know, I'll go to my grave saying this, is the best Warriors season was the 73-9 season because they finished 88-18, and and that's never been done in NBA history. It's never going to be done in NBA history ever again, but they lost in the final minute to Cleveland. So, so we did a bracket. I will defer, I will defer to the <laughs> listeners and talk about that first championship season, and you know, the difference is you got a 51-win team that went to 67 wins. So plus 16 hmm. off a team that was already that good is really remarkable in NBA history. So that's the first thing that jumps out is just how much better they were. The year before, they lost eight home games to teams below 500. Uh, the 67-win teams did not squander wins at all. They, they scooped up all of them. And they went from 10th. Uh, in defensive rating and 10th in offensive rating to number one in both categories with essentially the same core players. So it really was a pretty remarkable turnaround. I remember, and by the way, the 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 73 win season, we did a bracket on Twitter and that ended up losing in the final round to the first championship season. So Those people it, are still wrong. It was, it was close. <laughs> I agree. I actually was wondering why NBC Sports wasn't showing more of the 73 win season. I know they lost in the finals, but we know what happened. I, I think we could still go back and enjoy those games. I don't think... Yeah, well, you know what, what? what's interesting, maybe we'll just veer off topic for two seconds, is everyone thinks the championship is the defining thing. And to a large degree, I understand why. But I always pin people against the wall and say, if the 7-9 and nine Seattle Seahawks that made the playoffs with Marshawn Lynch, if they had won the Super Bowl... Does that make them some type of great team? Right. No. The, the regular season's got to matter. So 73-9, which became 88-18, and 18, and you lose in the final minute of Game 7, um, that, to me, you, you clearly are a phenomenal team. And I think we even see in the Bay Area, people want to remember the three Giants World Series, you mm. know, which were incredible. But by and large, those were above average to good Giants teams. Right. That you know, but they they got hot when you needed to. It's it's and so there's in our collective sports psyche. I don't agree with this, but I think for the average fan is, if you're a champion, everything was great. But if you didn't win a championship, somehow you were terrible. I still think the most overlooked team in all sports is the Buffalo Bills getting to four straight Super Bowls. Yeah. Um, they didn't win any of them, but to saddle up and do that year after year after year and play for the title four years in a row is just beyond remarkable. So uh, I've diverted now. Let's get back. <laughs> that is the LeBron James argument over Michael Jordan too, right? I mean, it's the same sort of argument. But yeah, let's get back on track here because this was also, and I, and just for another note of clarification, I think people were voting on their favorite, like they viewed this as their favorite Warriors season, maybe not necessarily the best team. And I think there's a reason yeah, for that. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. 
And and one of the reasons for that is this was sort of, and I kind of nicknamed this year Splash in the polls. I was naming it because they kind of just splashed onto the scene here. Like you said, 16 win increase, the defensive rating, the offensive metrics go through the roof one year to the next. And this was obviously the first year. This is the first of Steph Curry's back-to-back MVPs. What do you remember about, I mean, we, we talked about the leap there a little bit. But specifically to Steph, that leap that he made, we don't see that very often ever. I know he was a lottery pick, etc. But to take that leap from all-star caliber player to elite top five MVP caliber player, what did you see in that leap from year to year? Well, now, so this is interesting, and this is why you have to watch games and live games and talk to people as you do rather than just look at numbers. Because if I told you, did Steph play more minutes his first MVP year or the year before? He actually played less minutes in the MVP year. Hmm. Did he take more or less shots? He actually took less shots in the MVP year. Hmm. Was his scoring more or less? It was essentially the same at 24 a game. And his assists actually went down from 8.5 to 7.7. So wait a minute. Like Statistically, the year before was just as amazing as his MVP year, but the difference was the style, is that they, they in moving up to number one offensively, moving up to number one defensively, Steve Kerr, his first year, and his coaching staff, that was the big change, and the freedom that Steph was given, and the up-and-down style of the Warriors, and the transition uh, you know pace that they played, they were number one in pace in the league, and that freed up Steph's, it wasn't just the number of threes he took, it was how he took them, and when he took them, and then his ability to create these dynamic runs where he was the centerpiece of everything kind of offensively. So it'd almost be like a, maybe a football team that had a good running game and a decent passing game, and the next year they're you know throwing the ball 50 times a game and you, you, know, you see Tom Brady or Joe Montana jump forward. It was the style change and you know really the, the freedom, and you know, Steve Kerr called it flow, but the up-and-down flow and rhythm that that MVP season you know with Steph was the the total engine to get that rolling and the narrative too not to say he doesn't deserve it I think we throw narrative around around in a negative context but it was easily digestible to see how he was affecting the game that was really when we started talking about the quote-unquote geometry of the floor and and all these things and of course he had the stats to back it up but we could see very tangibly, how much space was being created because Steph Curry was out there, you know, shooting from 30 feet, being a threat from 30 feet away from the basket. So that was, to me, kind of, we started we started to see sort of this combination of not only do the, the stats back it up, but we're seeing, like, in that most valuable player debate, the effect that a player has on his team. That was sort of something that started, I feel, a little bit there with Steph because in the, in the years... Afterwards, we see a guy like Russell Westbrook win it, even though his team only won 48 games, but we saw the effect that he had on the floor. Uh, Giannis last year, kind of a similar thing. James Harden being in the MVP conversation over and over again. I kind of feel like that year with Steph sort of shifted the way we think about the MVP award. Yeah, I think, though, a lot of it, uh, Steph followed in the footsteps of Steve Nash. Yes, yep. That, you know, when a team has incredible success, you have to ascribe it to somebody. And so I think what they looked at was, hey, this team's won 67 games. They're the best team in the world. They play the most fun style. Everybody's going nuts. Who's responsible for that? And so, you know, Steph was largely responsible, and he got the love and the respect and the accolades that he deserved. But I think there's a couple nuanced things to that year, too, is that there was the acquisition of Sean Livingston, which allowed Steph to play four fewer minutes, 
and be a little fresher and also allow the team to win more because Sean was a key part of that second unit. The other thing was that Andre Godala elected to come off the bench. Right. And that was a big move by Steve Kerr asking Andre to move from being a starter to be in a reserve to lead that second unit. Harrison Barnes moved into the starting lineup. And then he also had the injury to David Lee, and that allowed Draymond Green to become a starter. Um, and David was a reserve. And the year before, the years prior, when David Lee was an all-star, you know, you would start a lot of possessions throwing the ball to David Lee, either on the block or you'd run pick and roll with him and things like that. So there was a little bit different orientation to the Warrior offense. So I think the winning had to be attributed to somebody if Steph was there. But the nuances of Livingston's acquisition, Draymond moving into the starting lineup, um, and the style that they played, those all were a perfect storm for really the excellence of the Warriors and the excellence of Steph. And Bob Myers needs a lot of credit for going out and getting Andre Iguodala the year before, grabbing Sean Livingston, bolstering that backcourt that season, going into the 2014-15 year. But you mentioned Steve Kerr there, and I had Connor Letourneau on earlier this week, and we were sort of uh, going back and forth about this idea that as much as Steve Kerr improved things from an X's and O's standpoint, a lot fewer post-ups than versus under Mark Jackson, you know, obviously sort of uncorking um, Steph Curry from three-point range and all that kind of stuff, but I think that was inevitable at some point with Steph. He was just going to start taking those shots, but... Uh, there was a there was also a different in a difference in style, like you said, but overall just like atmosphere around the team, sort of the ethos around the team changed. What do you credit? I, I guess what this is maybe putting you on the spot here. I don't know if you even have an answer for this. If you could have an answer for this, but what was the most important thing? Do you think that Steve Kerr brought to the table that year uh, between the X's and O's and just the the ecosystem they created, all that kind of stuff? Well, the the X's and O's, you know, you can numerically chart some of it is the Warriors went from essentially the fewest passes in the league to the most passes in the league. And so there was that good shot to great shot mentality, and that became contagious. Um, You know, I think that in Mark Jackson's era, you know, Mark was a great ball-dominant point guard, and the point guard ran things, and the off-guard ran off screens, and, you know, you can picture Mark with Reggie Miller and an Indiana team getting to the finals. That was that was in his DNA as a basketball coach and how he viewed it, and they had a big man in New York and things like that. So Steve Kerr definitely had more of the San Antonio move the ball, you know, and, and move it and play with pace and take advantage of the spacing of Steph and Clay, and you know the the ability to pass from Draymond and the high post passing of Bogut, and so I think that you know there are just two different styles. You know, there's different flavors of ice cream there, and you, you know you can you've had success with the Bad Boy Pistons and the Riley Knicks and Heat and stuff, and you've had great success with the you know seven seconds or less Suns as well as the Spurs and and the Warriors. So I think those are the two things there. I think the freshness of the coaching staff is that when you looked at Wait a minute, Steve Kerr, Alvin Gentry, Luke Walton, you know, Jaron Collins, Ron Adams, like, whoa. <laughs> the coaching staff was upgraded hugely. Mm. And so I think that, you know, and Bruce Frazier, you know, as I always called him kind of the, you know, the, the bogey whisperer, or the Steph whisperer. I mean, you know, Q has known Steve since, you know, so young in their lives. And it's great to have that sounding board. And I think... There was a lot of quiet conversations and a lot of togetherness that that Steph, uh, you know, Steph typified, but the staff embraced is that 
everybody talked to everybody, hung out with everybody. You know, there were team dinners that, you know, everyone that traveled was, was around. People got to know each other, I think, even better. And, um, you know, that, that when everyone's rolling the boat in the right direction, there's a great feeling of camaraderie. And then when you have winning on top of that, you kind of feel, hey, we're, we're on to something special. So I think that would be kind of the, the broad way to, to kind of view that first year with Steve. And it's carried on because he's, you know, he and Bob Myers are just two of the most special people you would meet in any walk of life, let alone just basketball or sports. Bob Fitzgerald, play-by-play voice for the Warriors. I don't need to tell you who that is. You recognize the voice. Bob, are you getting outside, walking your dog? How are the last couple of weeks going? I think I've been, uh, I've meddled in the dog walking decathlon. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, I've, I've got two dogs here, mine and my daughter's home for uh, her nursing schooling. And so her dog is here too. So, um, yeah, it's a good way to get out of the house, clear your mind, you know, get some exercise, get some fresh air and, you know, dogs don't like to be cooped up either, so, you know, the more you can do that <laughs> on a daily basis, certainly uh, the better for everybody in the house. Very good. Thanks for coming on. You got it. Remember to subscribe to new episodes of Locked on Warriors on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. If you're on iTunes, rate us, review us, say nice things about us. When we get done here, you can tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of another Locked on Network podcast, including Locked on NBA. Thanks for listening. Hey, Bay Area sports fans, this is Ben Kaspic, host of the Locked On Giants podcast, which should be the next Locked On podcast you fire up in your feed. The MLB offseason is closing in, and I'll have you covered every day, breaking down the rumors, speculation, and transactions that'll shape next year's Giants team. Subscribe to Locked On Giants right now on your favorite podcast provider. This is Josh Lloyd, the host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast, the number one fantasy basketball podcast in the world. If you are looking for information regarding fantasy basketball, recaps of the NBA, this is the show for you. We are heading into the offseason and starting to get ready for the 2020-2021 fantasy season. We'll have all the information on what happens through the rest of the playoffs, free agency, the NBA draft, and then heading into a big 2021 season. So make sure you're checking out the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast.